Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine, and I'm so excited about today's guest because she is an incredible chef with two Michelin stars and just a shining example for the industry, and she has also used her platform of social media to talk about some stuff that I think needs to be talked about uh, in order to keep the next generation of, of chefs happy, healthy in the industry. Welcome, Emma Bengtsson. Well, thank you. Emma, you, <laughs> you just completely rebooted your restaurant. Yes, we got a total remake. Oh my gosh. So what does that entail? Uh, and I want to get to a particular part of that, but uh, you're talking. This is this is a classic dining room that has been around. What's eighty six? Was it eighty seven? Oh my mm, gosh! Yeah. Okay, so this exquisite dining room, like big waterfall. <laughs> I remember going there the first time and like being so dazzled by this thing. I remember going out to lunch there and thinking, "This is how fancy people eat." <laughs> so I mean, it, it's so it's a dining room that has been or, you know, multi-dining rooms that has been in the hearts of, of New Yorkers and people from around the globe for a long time. So what happened? First of all, I really wish I could have seen that waterfall <laughs> because there's so many people who come through oh the door God. just talks about it that mm. at one point I was like, I'm just going to buy a little waterfall and just put it here. <laughs> so if they say anything, I'm just going to point and say, we have our own waterfall. <laughs> just a little one, but it's here. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was about time. Over 30 years old and, and everything felt a little bit... Um, dated and uh, felt like it was time to move forward and move into uh, a new era of of Aquavit and 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 it just it needed that facelift it needed something to happen to it so um, I really wanted an open kitchen to start yeah. so we pushed that through and it just came out to this enormous windows into. Basically, you can see everything. Oh my which is <laughs> No pressure. Bit bad right now. <laughs> like, how has that changed the dynamic of how the the kitchen goes? Because I've I've seen so many different kinds of kitchen energy, um, but those those ones where you can see into it is hypnotic for a viewer. And I know that's got to be a different dynamic than you're used to. How yeah. do you retrain your team to deal with that energy of like, okay, now you're part of the show. I wasn't super worried because mm-hmm. I've always run a kitchen where um, it's it's very calm. It's very mm-hmm. soothing. Um, there's not a lot of shouting or yelling. Mm-hmm. It's 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 very mesmerizing almost to watch. So it was it was almost at that point where it was fun to see if we could push it a little bit further mm-hmm. and just have that um, energy between the cooks and the. F- and the guests as well and having them be able to feel like they're part of it as much as as we are who actually gets to go out and and say hi to the guests so it's really nice to be able to see the interaction between the cooks and the guests as well especially when they come up to the window and like (laughs) hello oh so there is glass between (laughs) Uh, there is glass between yes (laughs) sometimes you see this completely open kitchens and it's almost awkward sometimes because like you feel like you're seeing something really private uh so with this let's talk about the energy of your kitchen because i that's something that i really love observing observing and i'm always very very conscious to not uh you know (laughs) interfere i always feel like i'm standing in the wrong place but like you know i've I've stood and watched like danielle's kitchen um like uh stone barns like uh gunter seeger all all these these different kitchens and some of them are very like we chef (laughs) and some of them are uh, sort of more relaxed than that so let's talk about like what does that look like in your kitchen there's, there's nothing is loud. Like if mm-hmm. if it's almost like in the dining room, if someone drops a pan, it's like everyone stops and stare at you. And you're like, <laughs> you're breaking the spell. I'm not supposed <laughs> to do this. So it's like you kind of are starting to have that dynamic that you have in the front of the room, mm-hmm. uh, in the back, and and I think all of that comes with people being secure enough. Um, to work in that kind of environment and it's hard for some people coming in and that can't handle having that um, not really that strictness to it but we do yes chef and we do for um, we do talk but Mm -hmm. it's it's very um, low-key and 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 not yelling yeah I'm I'm always uh, so surprised by that very like brigade like when it's 
even the cadence is the same. It's so militaristic. Wait, chef, like exactly like that. So how does that change somebody's energy? uh, Do you feel like, because I know that in some of those kitchens that are more sort of raucous rock and roll kind of kitchens or just ones where they're hidden from the public and there's a lot of screaming abusiveness or whatever that, you know, may or may not be personal or or Mm -hmm. not, you know, they're all different kinds of kitchens that they're, it's hard to shake that energy at the end of the night and, you know, people might go out of there like really internalizing that and feel like they have to go and do something to dispel that. If you're in somewhere that there is a kind of mesmerizing energy, do you feel like that has had an effect on how people leave at the end of the night, what their general kind of well-being is almost? I would hope it it's towards the better. Mm-hmm. And I think ever since since I started in that environment mm-hmm. myself, it, it has become better. No one really goes out and drink after work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've seen anyone during my five years really be hangover the next day. Mm-hmm. It's very, very rare. And it's just nice to be able to have where they go home and they feel good at the end of the night and they can actually go to sleep and, and come back the next day rested. And it's something that we work um, <clears throat> very, very much towards that. You should work five days a week. You should be able to manage your station. You should be able to have two days off, have a weekend off, or be able to spend time uh, with your family and loved ones if if you want to as well. So It feels like so much of kitchen culture is looking at that and trying to figure out how to do that. Did you come from a background like that? Or is that something that you've had to teach yourself and then teach the people around <laughs> you that like, how much convincing of yourself and others have you had to do with that? I always I always think of myself as being so lucky. My first restaurant I ever worked in, I was there for almost five years. Mm-hmm. And Where was that? It's it's back at Krug. It was uh, outside of Stockholm, mm-hmm. a little, um, almost like a barn situation, mm-hmm. uh, 40, 45 seats, uh, two Michelin. So it's still very high end, but everyone who was there was family. Yeah. Uh, oh, most wow. people stayed five, 10 years, uh, which is very rare in, in the restaurant industry to do. Mm-hmm. But they always, even if you worked a, a lot, they always took care of each other. And it was always that mentality that everyone uh, is equally worth. Uh, and I've always carried that with me for every workplace I've gone to where I don't I don't step into a kitchen if it makes me feel humiliated or bad or, I mean, they're hard. Yeah, and, this and, is and not an easy w- job. It will tear on you, but yeah. I never wanted to feel that extra push down. So I've always looked towards kitchen where I felt that I belonged and where I felt respected. So it's kind of like been my path to just steer towards the restaurants where I feel good. So this is something I've been trying to figure out for years where this mindset has come from and the sort of toxicity that has invaded the industry and and a lot of people have said it comes down from this sort of French lineage of uh, you know this kind of system that was abusive and and then it sort of metastasized in, in various places. Do you think there's anything about a particularly Swedish kitchen where that was your first exposure? Uh, that there's something cultural, that there is something in the lineage of Swedish restaurants that instilled in you this mentality of of, of balance of care. I'm not sure. If it has, I think it just has more to do with the head chef mm-hmm. who's leading it and who, if how he is interpreted his way of teaching mm-hmm. and, and cooking. So I don't think it's really that much of a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just how you are brought up, who your mentor was, and mm-hmm. you kind of tend to absorb that and then you bring that along with you. So I think it's very important especially for the newer generation yeah. now to to take that opportunity and like start over and go like you know we we can do it this way too. Right. It works. 
So while you were uh, the restaurant, you had to close the restaurant to do this. So the last time I saw you in person, you were about to have some time off for the first time in your life. (laughs) (laughs) And I was asking you, what are you going to do? How are you going to do this? And you were a little bit deer in the headlights like, I don't know. (laughs) So, uh, and and also, uh, sort of twinned with this, you you made a really extraordinary, I, I'm still so grateful for this Instagram post that you made where you showed a picture of yourself as a little kid. And uh, when we put this up online, I'll, if it's okay, I'll embed this Instagram <laughs> sure. post because I think it was so special. A picture of you as a little kid and then you, like, in a, in a hospital bed um, and saying when you were little... Like, you know, you thought of yourself as Super Emma who could go in and do anything, which you are. You you remain <laughs> Super Emma to this day. But along the way, you broke your body uh, doing this and, and through kitchen work, through the gruelingness of this. And you wrote this incredible thing about t- specifically to young cooks, like telling them to take care of themselves young. Can you talk through that whole journey and then taking some time off <laughs> that had to be totally foreign to you? Sure. Um, I've, I've, I've been stubborn my entire life and I've always wanting to prove that I'm as good as, or better than, than, than what I can do and, and that I can do this. So asking for help has never been in my genes. So I've pushed myself through, I've been in the industry for almost 20 years now and lifting 50 pound bags and heavy pots and and not doing it correctly and mm-hmm. and all of that wear and tear on a body where I already was um, an elite gymnast as a young age I didn't know that wow <laughs> kind of just broke it down even more so slowly throughout the years I've I've um, I fractured my uh, my lower spine and been living with that for probably three years now that's so Um, much pain to live with yes (laughs) I don't if people haven't had back injuries uh they might not understand how debilitating that is I've I've had a few back things that luckily have gotten to be corrected but my god it informs absolutely everything about everything you do yes it's just it's it it came to that point where I couldn't ignore it any yeah. longer which is also something I'm very good at <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's amazing how much we can put up with <laughs> right yeah right. so this it came in a perfect time uh closing the restaurants I uh, I got my uh, my surgery done and um, can you say what the surgery was if you feel comfortable yeah so I had a t-lift uh lemonic me transfusion something okay. I'll <laughs> so pretend like I know what that is a, I got um, a, between my L5 and my S1 mm-hmm. uh, they took away the side bones and put uh, two rods and uh, screws <laughs> and I am right that's so exciting do you have to have special screening uh, every have other you? year but I mean I like th- through TSA oh, no. you don't no. okay no, no, I'm fine. Yeah, because I've seen friends have to go through that. And it's always a like a reminder that, oh, crap, this kind of thing. And it's always like a little bit. Yeah, no, I got yeah. some new things in me. They said it's a new technology oh, and a new metal that um, just come up for the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about anything like that anymore. That's so great. How do you feel? I feel great. Oh, good. It's, uh, I mean, I still have my one to two scale of pain mm-hmm. at the end of a long work day but yeah uh, living in that agony that I did before where it was just like okay go and cry for five minutes and then I'll go back at it mm-hmm. and then a couple of hours later I was like okay I can do this and then <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing like you you make these little goal posts I can get to this yeah okay like and then you get further but then do you th- do you feel like you had to hide that from the people around you? Could they they see it? What? How did you negotiate that at work? Did people know something was going on? Where I am now, yes. Okay. Um, I've hidden it very well in my past or yeah. my previous works, but um, I've never felt that I needed to hide anything where I am now or at Aquavit. It's mm-hmm. been it's been to that point where. 
I was almost pushed by everyone to like <laughs> go and do the surgery, right. like get it done, like. Right. So it was the support has been amazing, and they're all been backing me up and um, not allowed to lift anything anymore. They yell at me as soon as I try. Good. So. Good. <laughs> I want you yelled at. I want. It, it's so hard to accept help it really is like and that comes about in all different ways whether it's lifting something heavy whether it's saying to somebody like i'm not doing okay like whatever that is it's really really hard but i've 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 been so terrible at it most of my life and just in the past year i've realized the power of it because it lets somebody else take care of you and that's a gift yeah they get to feel like they i mean this is the thing i see with chefs all the time you are taking care of people you're taking care of diners you're taking care of your team it's you have i I mean we were uh i ran into emma in the lobby on the way in and she's on her phone and trying to solve a problem like this this morning and you know a chef's life is never done and it people think it's standing behind a stove it's also being on your phone it's you know and, and it's the emotional care of the people who are on your team uh so how big is your team so we're Roughly around 20 in the kitchen, okay. and then probably around 35, 40 in front of the house. Yeah, I mean... Give or take, yeah. That is that is a lot of people, and you are expected to be, you know, a lead, obviously, with the cuisine, uh, but also... And a mom. Yeah, an emotional lead <laughs> on all of this stuff. <laughs> I mean, if... It's amazing now when I see some of the young chefs in kitchens, I'm like, you look like a baby. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And I think like, God bless you. Like, do you know what's in front of you? And they're really lucky to have people like you who, again, that, that Instagram post just really, really hit me because I see some chefs who are now in their like 30s, 40s, 50s who are saying like, you know what? My knees are not great. And here's how I could have prevented that. Yeah. And hey, you know, person fresh out of school or whatever, who's like 21, if you don't do this now. Yeah. I yell at them all the time. I say, like, don't lift the pot that way. <laughs> Bend your knees. Yeah. I was like, you're going to regret it. Trust me. <laughs> right. I know it. <laughs> oh, gosh. And hands too. Wrists are such a, are such a thing. So I hadn't known that, you're, that you were an elite gymnast too. So I'm so curious about, because you have to be so body conscious with all of that. And you have to like limber up to do things. You have to ice out. You have to do, you know, all of these things and take care of it. And then you also have to push uh, through the pain. How did the discipline of that, how does, does that cross over with the discipline that you have to have in the kitchen? I think so. I mean, I've always been um, very independent. I've always competed a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a gymnast up till I was 15. What was your particular uh, favorite? The double bars. Wow. So I love to do that. I want to see video of this. This is amazing. (laughs) Um, but I've also competed a lot in, in horseback riding. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so I, I did that, uh, at the same time, almost up till I was 18, wow. um, on a national level too. So it's it kind of like, I was always in, in, in my world and like doing my thing and always pushing myself to, to be better and, and do better. So mm-hmm. I think when, when all of that's, when I started a restaurant or mm-hmm. starting to become a cook, mm-hmm. um, I had to say goodbye to that because that took all my energy. And, yeah. and ever since then, I've always focused everything of my life has always gone into whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah. So it just took that leading part um, from my sports. So when then all of a sudden you're in a position where you're recovering from surgery and you have to kind of be there and do nothing it was so hard (laughs) yes so can we talk through what that looked like because there's there's a big push now there's a there's a book that I keep painting to read called the art of doing nothing and it's and I've I've just started recently trying to meditate and having you know push everything sort of out and just focus on myself it's really really hard yeah it's so if you're a person who is used to doing and producing. So how did you negotiate that emotionally? Like, what did you do? It was hard. Uh, I mean, the first, I was on house arrest for like a month. <laughs> house arrest. Um, <laughs> driving my boyfriend insane. Yeah. Uh, 
And it wasn't easy. I wasn't allowed to leave. If I had to go for a walk, he has to come with me. And and it was it was something that I was like, oh my god, I'm so looking forward to this. Yeah. I get to stay home and sleep, <laughs> watch Netflix. <laughs> One weekend, I was like, <laughs> I can't do this. And I couldn't do anything either. Like, I, I couldn't clean yeah. or everything like that. It was too hard. So it's just, uh, it was painful. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you fill the time? Um, Luckily, it was summer. So I tried to, like, just sit on the balcony. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a tendency of spacing away uh, when I'm outside. So mm-hmm. that 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 was something that helped me. Uh, if I can't be in a park or in the nature, then at least I could sit outside. Um, so that was something that helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I felt the time. Annoying people. Like, <laughs> Were you just like texting people? people to come around. I was like... You off tonight? You want to come by? <laughs> and I'm sure they did it. because you were beloved. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a really intense thing, and and especially missing the physicality of being in a kitchen is such a physical job. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if people always know that it's it, it's so much motion, it's so much physical effort. It's just it's this constant sort of flow and flurry of yeah. of things and then to have to be still is is such a, a hard thing to do. But uh, I think I conv- I convinced my doctor to let me go back as long as I didn't work. <laughs> so you were just like there in the, in the restaurant. <laughs> I was just standing, or they would roll up a chair, so I could just sit in the middle of the restaurant. I was just like, okay, this is this is better. I, 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 at least I, you're like back in I'll your cocoon. <laughs> so then, when you were doing all this, you you were revamping some menu things as well. Did you like how how much sort of refiguring of any any menu or or service or anything like that happened while the remodeling of the restaurant was going on? What changed? So we had a couple of months to actually uh, figure out, before renovation, we mm-hmm. used to have uh, one menu for lunch, one menu for dinner, where the lunch was more towards classic, mm-hmm. bigger dishes, um, uh, s- Swedish traditional, like the herring, the meatballs, Roblox. <laughs> I, I remember like that's that. the first place I ever had Roblox, <laughs> and so I was thinking about that. <laughs> Uh, and then dinner came around and, and we just flipped everything upside down and turned it into a uh, 15-course chef's tasting wow. that had nothing to do with lunch. And it kind of created this uh, riff, not only between the cooks, because uh, it was like, I want to only do dinner service. I don't want to do the lunch. and Or it was just, it was hard to flip. And then it just became like this weird dynamic to yeah. figure it out. So... With the renovation, we actually decided to to split and and really realize that we're trying to do two restaurants oh. and on in one concept. Okay. So we rebuild. We have we had giant premises. So the whole bar area that wasn't really anything before, more than a lounge, uh, is now turned into more of a casual dining uh, area where you can come in and you can get your herring and you can get your meatballs and yummy desserts and and share everything yeah. um and then dining room was kept more uh towards uh what we do on our tasting menu but a more of a uh, broader spectrum mm-hmm. so you can order more for lunch you don't have to lock yourself into a chef you can do a two or a three course prefee and and see a little bit more uh, what's going on. Do you have separate teams then, or do people uh, switch teams? How does that? What's the dynamic of that? So everyone switches. Okay. Uh, and that's something I would say when you come on board, you you are expected to do everything. You do banquet, you do mm-hmm. bar, lunch, dinner, mm-hmm. um, and then normally you do two week uh, rotation. So you still get a. A little bit of uh, security. If you work AM, you do that for two weeks. But um, it have turned out much better to be able to have that um, camaraderie between everyone because yeah. everyone is starting to learn every station so that if anyone is going down, ev- you can step in, you can help. The more seasoned cooks uh, step in and help the younger kids so they get get their stuff done. So it, it's nice to see that it, it's actually functioning 
in the direction that we wanted it to go. That's really cool. And with service, is there a different tone in the service in the t- in the couple of different spaces? The energy is definitely different mm-hmm. because you have in the dining room, you have the window right where you're cooking right (laughs) Uh, so you're a little bit more mellow and then in the back uh, where the banquet is Mm -hmm. it's more mellow and then that push comes where 80 plates has to go (laughs) and it's boom 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 and like it gets a little bit loud and then it's done it's out and then it quiets down again so it's definitely you see that different dynamics between it yeah, because I'm thinking like if you're if you're a server and you're dealing with this, like if you're having the people who are having like casual night out as opposed to like you know a, a fancier kind of thing, yeah. like that that's got to be fun for them to be able to switch that up. Yeah, and that's what I've, we thought too because we've been talking about it with my uh, my head chef and my sous chefs. We're like, you don't want to get stuck in a station for six months waiting to transfer up somewhere yeah. else, and that just turns out boring. You want to yeah. at least. In our point of view, you want to learn everything. You want to soak up everything you can. And if if it takes you six months to leave a station to go somewhere else, mm-hmm. that's not fun. At least not in my point yeah. of view. But. Yeah, no, I, I think like having that variety of experiences is really important. And then it gives people the opportunity. You know, I, I keep talking with people about this. Then if somebody calls out, you have the opportunity to step up and like really show yourself. And I think yeah. that's a really important thing to give people a chance to succeed in, in all different things. I think that's a really important thing to be able to do. And also you have one of the few kitchens in New York if uh, that where people can learn Swedish food. Yeah. That's, I, I love this about you that I was, you know, I was doing my homework <laughs> and stuff and I realized you didn't go through any of the French stuff. You didn't go through Italian, whatever. You, I have no idea what it is even. I've I think that's so like that. great because like, I, I have this ongoing conversation with our restaurant editor, Kush Bouchard, and she was like, how did French end up being the end all be all, all this kind of stuff? People think, oh, you have to have this foundation of, of stuff. I'm like... Mexican is just as great and complicated and and Swedish is and all this stuff. So how did that happen? I think that's so great. I mean, the the French obviously influenced Sweden back in but. the 80s when or 70s, something like yeah. that, when they came over and, and took over. But it's also so fun to go back into the basic... Uh, of Scandinavian cuisine where you actually are figuring out that the brining, curing, smoking, pickling, all of those things Mm -hmm. are coming from other regions and they are the ones that like are the technique and the foundation of how we cook. And uh, it's just fun. The more you explore it, you start realizing that uh, Japan has very fundamental techniques to what we oh, yeah. have and it's like there's there's just countries all over yeah. who where I always get lost in people saying like oh this new technique I was like it's not <laughs> new it's incredibly old it's the oldest thing ever <laughs> it's like and so it's just fun to see that in different cuisines that you you have those uh, ideas because it's ideas about how to cook to survive yeah, it's so much of this is poor people food and people dealing with incredibly uh, varying weather patterns. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have so I was sort of behind the curve and falling in, in love with Scandinavian and sort of new Nordic and, and all that. But over the past few years, as I've gotten to travel more, I've been blown away by by the food I was in. Well, I was in Norway uh just a few months ago and I I, I was the techniques that they were using on the fish were things that I had just really not gotten to experience before I had never had some of the ingredients before and I was thinking this is all I want in my life now (laughs) and to taste I I met a a dairy farmer he has five cows and only does butter for a credo restaurant in Trondheim and it's the best butter I've ever had in my life and I thought I could go to my grave only eating like this sourdough (laughs) and like covered with this butter it was such an incredible thing and I've only um I've only been to Sweden for about 12 hours ever. <laughs> I went to Malmo for like a few All hours. Right. I loved it. I loved it. I want to go back, but it's it's such a different like sort of it's it's like seeing a color I hadn't seen before and then all of a sudden figuring out like oh that's how it fits into the rainbow of like everything else and 
I've just I've loved it so so much, and uh, it it is it's been kind of like you said, like hilarious to see people like, discovering all of this. And what's been your your favorite thing to see people like sort of adopt? And you were like, that's the thing we did as a kid. Or is there <laughs> has there been something in particular where you like have watched people do that, and you're like, what? This has been around forever. Wow. Um, I think. I mean, one of the last trends that ever came, uh, I think, was fermentation and oh, things yeah. like that. And it's it's also one of those things like my grandma did that at home. <laughs> it, it's just it it's not new, but it's fun to see that like more and more restaurants are picking up on these things because a lot of these techniques that we are doing uh, in the Nordic is to preserve everything. Mm-hmm. So if this can mean that there's less food waste and there's less things going in the garbage, I would love to see more of that. So that's like, that's, it's, it's a way of keeping the summer with you throughout mm-hmm. the winter as well and keeping that produce uh, staying with you longer instead of importing it from halfway around the world. Um, I think if we can just do more of that up here in the north where we don't really get that, uh, those ingredients during winter, I think that's a win for everyone. Those dark months are tough. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they really, really are. And nobody's better at it than the Scandinavians. <laughs> I have to say, like, I get the you know, the lack of light and the, you know, you go to the farmer's market and it's all just the same apples and potatoes <laughs> that it's been for, for a long time. So to get to, uh, you know, go somewhere and see something that's uh, preserved, you know, it's like sunshine in a jar. Like, it's it's such like a truly beautiful thing. But also, I think it's really important in this particular day and age, because we're facing so many climate challenges, to be able to really figure out, you know, what, you know, really preserve the seasons while they're still around. Mm -hmm. It's such a challenging thing right now, because there was, there was a day this weekend where it was almost 70 degrees. Yes. And I almost like reached out and I was, I was too tired or something like that, but I almost reached out to farmer friends of mine to ask like, what impact is this going to have on your crops this year? This This is going to be horrible. Yeah. Cause something probably thought like, Oh, it's time to start blooming today. Probably a, you know, a, fruit tree of mm-hmm. some sort got fooled in uh, you know mid-January and it's going to freeze off in a week or two and then we're not going to have that crop for this year yeah do you find that sort of where you grew up that people were very conscious of eating in a, in a seasonal way more than we have traditionally been in the states I mean I I think when growing up as well, we we only really ate things that that came from from the local situation. Yeah. Like, I think the most we would maybe venture out was lemons. Uh, Where did those come from? <laughs> but a lot of things, it's it wasn't really something that we were looking for. I I don't never go and buy strawberries. Yeah. In December, it's just it doesn't really fit for for what I think it's appropriate and uh, I think that's something that that's always been with me from being a kid that it's it's winter you eat root vegetables right and plenty oh (laughs) so so many rutabagas and all of those things and you just become that I always feel like I get gray <laughs> in the winter like inside and out and I actually have one of those lights on my desk one of those blue lights that mimics sunshine oh, yeah. because I just I just need to have that and I have to keep my mood up during that time because that is really really hard it is it so, is so that's sure. kind of amazing now I have this image of you in the summer planting yourself out on your balcony <laughs> like to, to get sunlight like while you while you're recovering from that so when you were saying you were you were reaching out to friends and and having them come by and stuff like that, was that hard for you or was that sort of a just like okay here I'm going with it now? Is that something you would have done before? Not really. Yeah. Um, I love all my friends and spending time with them, but mm-hmm. I'm also very um, a loner, or mm-hmm. I've I've lived my whole life doing my things and so nightly tightly in a ball that Mm -hmm. 
I'm not the person who like have to go out and and, yeah. and do things all the time. I'm very happy just doing nothing. Yeah. For hours. <laughs> <laughs> but when I get to that point where it's just a whole lot of nothing, it's yeah. really nice to have uh, people who care about you. Yeah. Um, who's there for you? So. Yeah, and, and chefs' brains <laughs> are differently. <laughs> it is uh, you're wired in a very um, particular way. I often use the word masochist. <laughs> it's, it's always like, oh, this thing is hard. How do I make it harder on myself? There's never the how do I make this easier on myself. There's never the thing. It's sort of, and it's also this sort of altruistic thing. It's like, oh, I have some downtime. How do I help somebody else while I'm doing them? Which is why this makes chefs into like tremendous do-gooders and and uh you know uh, people who promote charities and do all of this kind of stuff and it also means you're called on a lot uh, to to do that kind of stuff I don't always know if people realize like how much chefs are called on to take part in all these and I see you taking part in in all these things like so how what part of kind of the DNA of a restaurant is taken up with that kind of charitable work because I know it ends up being a lot I think we all do as much as we can, and mm-hmm. and it's heartbreaking when you have to turn down um, f- uh, fundraisers or different yeah. dinners and things like that. But there's only so much you can do without uh, not losing yourself at the restaurant. Oh my God, so, so hard. I try and focus towards specific ones mm-hmm. that I'm very heavily invested mm-hmm. and uh, I try and do as much as I can for the causes that mm-hmm. uh, are very dear to my heart um, and then just do as much as I can it's it seems like every chef I know is like has <laughs> has so much of that built in and then and the thing is like you know you're a, a particular you know target of this because you two michelin stars there <laughs> hey <laughs> and you have recently maintained those yes, yes. Or, okay that is that's incredible and that is that an, is an astonishing accomplishment i mean one is whoa two <laughs> is a really really stunning thing there are not that many in new york and uh, you know not that many in the u.s in general or the world and stuff and then you were one of the few in new york who who has two stars let's talk about the pressure of of that because it it puts a lot of eyes on you and it's uh the maintenance of that because it's it's i know that there, there are a lot of chefs who who are starting to think do i opt out of this system can i say no to michelin can you you know people respectfully ask like take me out of the guide you can't really do that you yeah. see people try you saw the chef in france recently uh try to sue michelin to try to figure out why he had been demoted <laughs> and but it's it's this extra layer is it a thing that you think about or is it just a thing that in the course of the way that you happen to run your restaurant you happen to run a two michelin star restaurant is how much conscious thought do you put into this i think it's a little bit of both yeah. like obviously the pressure is there. You think about it all the time, and and it's kind of unsurreal. Like I've worked with people who had two Michelin stars. I never really, in my life, thought that I would be one of them. Uh, especially <laughs> growing up as a pastry chef, mm-hmm. it's like you're the pastry chef. You're never really there. Like it's always the head chef, and mm-hmm. then the pastry chef is is there pushing but it's never really about Mm. them so it wasn't really anything that was on my mind that much Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think when it comes down to it what I try and and put in my mantra every single day is just this is what I love to do Mm -hmm. this is what I'm pushing towards and I want everyone to be happy Everyone yeah. who comes through the door, I want them to have the best experience they can ever have. And it breaks my heart when someone isn't. Yeah. And I, I wish I could fix it. Yeah. And it's it's just so hard in this day and age to make everyone happy. Like everyone has yeah. <laughs> obviously their own taste profiles and their own idea of what uh, you're supposed to be. And I think that's the hardest part with the Michelin star is that people are coming in with over the moon expectations mm-hmm. and you you're trying to say like look I'm still only human and mm-hmm. I'm doing my best here 
And uh, I really hope that all of that hard work is being pushed towards you to to enjoy it or like I can't think of the American word for it <laughs> but yeah. like where you you can see and feel and, and understand and, and love what I do um, and at the day when it comes down to it it's 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 a restaurant where this is my niche we do Scandinavian we do a lot of seafood um and and this is it's called the chef's tasting for a reason, um, and I'm doing my best to please everyone mm-hmm. at it. But the pressure is is always there. But it's oh, not yeah. so much the critics and and in the yeah. the Michelin and all of that is always there. But at the end of the day, it's the people who come back. Yeah, those are the ones that I'm cooking for, and those are the ones that are the most important. Um, in a restaurant life for me. I wonder, I always wonder when people come in and they're being snotty on Yelp or whatever it is, like how much of that comes out of nerves from a diner? Like, I've definitely seen people go into a restaurant where they're, they come in intimidated. It's nothing that the restaurant did whatsoever. They just come in with this, this nervousness or or something. And there's, they're going to carry that with them. So they feel that being overly critical is somehow protecting them. Like, well, if I'm critical first, then, you know, I, you know, then obviously I belong here. Like it's, it's sort of this, this discomfort. And because people aren't necessarily going to have a frame of reference about the kind of cooking that you are doing I wonder if there's sort of an extra learning curve there because they've been to a French restaurant they've been to an Italian restaurant they've been to whatever they might not have been to a Swedish restaurant just because there aren't a lot especially in the and it is a different flavor profile for sure yeah so it's it's hard to to show and and breach that gap and understanding of what it is that we do I feel like the only other place that I'd had food like like that is I feel like there's like some sort of cultural institution that has a a cafeteria. It's a, 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 like a Swedish cultural institution. I forget what it is, but it's it's somewhere in the city, and uh, I don't know if they still do. But for a while they were doing lunch, and it was and that was really the only other place mm-hmm. other than your restaurant where I'd had this kind of food. And it's I just still you know I, th- I think about those flavors so vividly, and it's such a it's such a special thing. But if you're if you don't sort of know what you're in for. And just leave yourself open to the process. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's kind of always what I've said to, to friends who were maybe a little bit nervous about going into a restaurant where they're feeling like, ah, oh, you know, I even feel this. And I, you know, I do this thing for a living. And I still sometimes go into restaurants and think like, they're going to know that I'm just riffraff. <laughs> and then I realize I just have to give myself over to the enjoyment of this. It took me a lot of years to get to that point where I can just go like, I'm going in, I'm going to have a good time, yeah. and I'm not going to find every fault that I can find. <laughs> like, this is not why I'm here. The busman's holiday. Because <laughs> growing up as a cook, you kind of learn to, mm-hmm. like, point out all the bad things that you yeah. have to do better. Yeah. Like, that's how you kind of learn being in the kitchen. Yeah. But then when you go out and dine, you kind of have to, like, like mm-hmm. stop looking right. for <laughs> mistakes. Yeah, because that's not why you're here. It's just gonna ruin your night. You're here to enjoy the food and have a good time, and like not be critical. Was a really hard switch to to turn off in the beginning. Are you able to? Is that easier at different kinds of restaurants than like if you go into a two or three star Michelin place? Like, can it's you? Harder. <laughs> I'm thinking because you're probably thinking like, okay, what do they do that we're not? What are we doing that they're not? Like that kind of, I mean, as an athlete, as a competitor, you probably always have that that kind of switch. And I think that's why you see more and more, or more and more, but you hear about um, chefs actually not really going yeah. when they go out to Michelin restaurants. They they pick the the level that are good food, relaxing, mm-hmm not so uptight kind of restaurants and then it's always because I get asked a lot like oh where do you go and eat and I was mm-hmm. like oh if I can just go to my local restaurant and have pizza yeah. I'm happy <laughs> right it's the best pizza ever but, where, um, where is it where do you go <laughs> I go up in Harlem it's What's... called Babalucci 
Babalucci. Okay, yeah. good to know. <laughs> this is good to know. Tip, tip from Emma <laughs> to go to Babalucci. So it's 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 such an interesting thing, like how sort of chefs eat on their their time off, and they're all just like getting ramen or getting pizza right? or getting yeah. whatever. Or what you were just you were telling me before we got on mic, and I think this is really cool that you were. I'm not saying everyone should go and do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were saying like I, I was sort of confessing I get too much takeout, and it shows up with too much plastic. But you were saying you made a New Year's resolution not to bring plastic into the home. Yes. What's that look like? Uh, I mean, I, I lived a life where Amazon was my best friend. Yeah. Uh, Especially if you're stuck at home for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, that kind of, I've, I've stopped using it uh, because of how they just ship everything. Yeah. Uh, Worker treatment. <laughs> but um, I think the hardest part is, there's so much plastic that are not recyclable and a lot of it just goes in the garbage or in the yeah. water and it, it it doesn't end up being recycled. And even yeah. the plastic that can be recycled is not really being done in a proper way. So yeah. having to just realize how much plastic I have in my house, just like in the shower all the products yeah. in the bathroom and in, in 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 the kitchen cleaning products so much and i'm just trying to before i run out of old stuff right. <laughs> to come up with new ideas or like okay maybe i can start cleaning with vinegar and water and i do i need that uh, body wash can i just use a soap or and yeah. little things like that, just trying to like slowly switch over everything I have into more of a sustainable lifestyle. I think every little thing that every person can do um, is a step in the right direction. So I've tried to sort of go through the makeup that I have <laughs> and, you know, and, and I'm looking through. I'm like, why do I have all these hotel shampoos and like bundle them up and like bring them to a shelter and, you know, that that kind of thing and just like getting rid of some of the clutter in mm-hmm. in my life it's that that's been that's been pretty intense and i know new york city is about to do a paper bag i mean sorry plastic bag ban that is yeah, fantastic oh my god waiting for that to happen i cuz i try to have a bag with me but some some stuff just shows up in in plastic bags or somehow it's the default or like you're about to catch it and they've already put something in a in a plastic bag and i end up with you know this giant amount of plastic bags that i bring luckily the cvs near me has a place where you can go in and drop off all your plastic bags and they you know, recycle them. They do something with them, but the, just the the mass of that in yeah. my apartment. I was actually made myself a little project recently, where I went through all my like tote bags, just like my woven tote bags, and I was just cleaning them all out. And I was like, I have like twenty tote bags. <laughs> yeah. This is, I have no excuse for not having a tote bag on me at all times. Yeah, it, it's kind of amazing to figure out just like those little steps that you you can take. So how much of this has made it into the restaurant? As much as I can, uh, I'm I'm pushing towards. Uh, we stopped as using plastic straws, and I'm on everyone. I'm almost harassing my work colleagues about like, are oh, you bringing a plastic bottle in? <laughs> Don't buy that. <laughs> they come in glass. <laughs> but uh, um, it it's it's a harder project because it has to go through different lines. It's yeah. not my restaurant yeah. uh, so obviously I'm pushing towards as much as I can and, and everyone is on board so little by little everything have started to change um, how we do it and, and how we recycle as well is, is very very important so um, we're getting there it's really and New York City does not always make it easy for no <laughs> for this they don't make it easy uh, with leftover food uh, sometimes like there are some great organizations that are trying to help with that gap between sort of restaurants and homeless organizations and other people doing really powerful work. Um, but New York City government makes it really difficult a lot of the, the, the time. But I am grateful for people like you who are really being super conscious and intentional about this kind of thing. This restaurant that that you are in charge of is has a very long life and you were you were the steward of it and that's a really amazing and incredible thing and there's a lineage of people who have made their mark on on this restaurant 
what do you and I know like you're young so it's it I so I know legacy is a hard word what do you want your legacy at in at Akavit to be and what do you want it to be just as a chef in the world wow um <laughs> the, t- the tiny questions a little question <laughs> we specialize in the tiny questions here I think when it comes to Akavit mm. I always feel that I want to be one of the chefs who are remembered yeah uh and like you said, there's a lot of chefs who are, are owing their career mm-hmm. to Aquavit and, and everything it's done for them. So I want to be one of those chefs that they remember. You, I think I, I um, am here to tell you you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be the person where they, someone comes in 20 years from now and they go, oh, is Emma in the kitchen? And they go like, no, she haven't been here for the last 10 years. <laughs> she's on her like island. She's on a cruise. She's like, <laughs> so I want to be, uh, I want to be remembered for for bringing Aquavit forward and for for really. Uh, putting my name on the mark there. Yeah. Um, for for the future and for for me, I I don't know. I'm I'm. I was thinking lately a lot about. I'm getting more and more of these questions like, "What do you want to do? What's the future? Mm-hmm. What's your dreams? What?" I just I'm always been so scared of dreaming. Yes. I've, I've always been in this mindset that. You can't be disappointed if you don't have that dream. So I'm trying to like be appreciated, appreciate that of the day I have and the life I have now, and just be happy in the moment because you never know uh, what the future brings, and you can't push off too much. Like I'm always scared that. If I decide that this is something I really want to do, but in 10 years from now, and then I never get there or I, I won't, I mean, I'm going dark here now, but no, if, if an accident it. happens yeah. or, or, or if, if, if something immobilized me or I can't do it, then I don't want to have to wait till I retire or till I get a certain age to do something. So mm-hmm. I try and not think too much about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I, I want to think about today. Yeah, and maybe tonight, <laughs> but <laughs> not not too much about the future. I think it, the universe has its way of figuring mm-hmm. out what it wanted to do with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always had, so um, I'll be happy either way. I think whatever I do um, in my life. That's really that's a really nice way to look at it. And there's sort of a question I, I ask everybody because I like to put it out there because it's sort of like asking the universe or asking anybody who is listening to this to help. And I know we've said like yeah. not great at asking for help. What is there something, even though you know you're saying you're sort of afraid to want things or, or whatever, what is something where a thing that you want for yourself that other people could could help you get there? Because you, you put a lot of energy into like being a mom for your team and taking care of this incredible restaurant and, and you know, and, and healing your body and, you know, making this incredible food and taking care of the diners. What is it thing for you that somebody else could be like, oh, wait, hey, I have a way to help her out with that. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. That's also like <laughs> I, I come from a a line of women who don't ask yeah. for things. <laughs> maybe, this, this is, maybe this is a chance to like bully yourself a little bit or have, have somebody else come in and be like, well, <laughs> for me, it's sleep personally. I, I, I really am very bad at it and I'm trying to get much, much better at it. Yeah. And so I sort of put that out there about like, how do I, you know, how do I get better at this? And somebody will always end up like, you know, tweeting at me, well, have you tried this thing? And like, there's so many great things out there. So it's true. Yeah. So. I don't know. I need, uh, I need to figure out a, a new way of, of, uh, taking care of myself. I think on my days off, like I've, yeah. I've used I used to go to the gym. I used to do a lot of dancing. I used to do a lot of those things. But I think I need, I need a new adventure. I need to figure out something new that I can do uh, while still in in PT. So not full on, but that yeah. I think that's something that I'm, 
I'm trying to figure out as of the moment something fun that in- inspires me in my uh, my days off. I think you're gonna make pottery. You're gonna make the dish. Pottery. <laughs> Maybe that is it. We were actually sort of joking beforehand about like making the dishes for the restaurant and all. That. Maybe that's what you do. Yeah, I never <laughs> thought about that. Maybe that is. And sell them also, like, <laughs> whatever you don't use for the restaurant, like, sell them. I think there is this amazing wave of people having all this stuff, like, custom-made for their restaurant. I think that would be really, really cool. And the thing is, yeah. I know that if you made these, they would be so kick-ass. <laughs> you would make them so amazingly. That is, I, I think that's a good place. Yeah, that's what it's, I need to look into. Yeah. Okay, people find a pottery class. (laughs) So I have some questions that I ask everybody and the list has sort of been growing as people um, like on the team have been like, Hey, could you ask about this kind of thing? So have you ever cried in the walk-in? I've cried everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere you can find a space that no one else is in. I've cried there. (laughs) And have you found people crying in the walk-in? Um, yes. why, Why is it such a great space for crying? I think the, the, the coolness and the, the temperature, it's kind of like it relaxes your nerves. Yeah. And I always say that, I mean, most of the times I've had cried has been out of frustration. Yeah. Uh, and then it's my way of like getting my anger out. Yeah. Uh, so I think just that, that like that coldness kind of yeah. like makes your nerves starts to like relax and then you're like, breathe it out a couple of times and you're like okay I'm at it again I can, I can do this <laughs> I love that the sort of healing power of that that's really cool um our uh editor Meg Soul wanted me to ask people I love this question what is your go-to cookbook what has the been the the, the long time one and what are uh, one or two like more recent ones from the last year or two um I'm a really fan of Magnus, the Nordic cookbook. Oh, it's such it's, a great uh, book. It's falling apart in in my office. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, wow, I have s- so many old Swedish cookbooks. Yeah. Um, that I just there's like that era of Vanna uh, uh, Vergler used to be. Oh, um, I don't know. Uh, a great chef back in the days. Uh, he's one of the first ones who brought the French cuisine over. And it's just fun to see and read and see where <clears throat> the cuisine is taking us. Oh yeah, and the plating <laughs> and the like little heart dots and the sauces. Oh my god, I love looking oh. at like eighties <laughs> and nineties f- food styling. I have, I have these uh, bound versions of like the best of food and wine from seventies, eighties, nineties. Oh my god, the photography is so amazing <laughs> i love that stuff so is there a particular book of that that uh, people could like go and look for on not amazon <laughs> um <clears throat> i can't remember the title of it okay. no, but i'll just but... i'll look up the the chef that's that's really cool what is the toughest job in a restaurant toughest job um wow i i don't think there is a position like that I think every every job is is almost as tough but in in different ways the more you grow and the the higher up you get obviously the tougher the job gets but you also have more experience under your belt so I'm not to say that the the first kid who comes in is as equally as terrified right. as as the head chef is so it's uh I think they're all equally hard yeah, it's funny. I, I get a lot of answers of uh, dishwasher and host. <laughs> Those are <Yeah. laughs> pretty hard. I uh, yesterday had a, um, Katie Button who has, uh, you know, most like toppest place. And she was like the dish pit there because it's so many dishes like that. So that's a pretty tough thing. But I've heard like grill chef and all that kind of stuff. But, oh, yeah. But any, I couldn't do any of these jobs. Like I, I faced this long ago. I couldn't do any job in a restaurant. But yeah, that is that is pretty intense. Yeah. So what is your comfort food? The worst food ever. What is that? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, I yeah, I have one thing that I'm always like a little bit embarrassed as a as a chef to say that I do, but um, I love doing my nachos at home. I love nachos. <laughs> that that is my comfort food. <laughs> so how do you do them at home? Um, 
So nothing really chefy is about it. Uh, I think that's the worst part. That uh, I, I buy my my nachos, <laughs> and there's tons of cheese on it. I do make my own meat sauce. Um, okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> a little chefy, but then a lot of sour cream. But uh, I pre-buy the salsa, um, so I cheat a little, and then yeah. Oh, I love nachos. I love them so. They're my stress food. <laughs> absolutely. Um, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? I think uh, going up uh, to my boyfriend's mother for Thanksgiving, uh, it's always nice to see someone who's a, a little bit scared or like when people are scared to cook for you and mm-hmm. then they just throw out this like amazing food for like 20 people and there's <laughs> two of us coming <laughs> and it just breaks my heart when, when I when someone is doing that for me and I guess like having a mom here and then uh when my mom is back home in Sweden it's just so sweet to to have that and this is the lovely boyfriend who I met in Ireland oh he's so lovely he is I'm so glad y'all are okay good yay that I was I was hoping it was yay good Uh, well actually the next question I always ask is what is the last time that somebody cooked for you in their home is so that was it because people are so afraid to cook for chefs yes they are and I don't understand why even my own mother hardly wants to cook (laughs) for me she's like you cook tonight I was like no that's not why I'm here (laughs) no make me I want I want your food (laughs) (laughs) make the thing I grew up eating (laughs) and uh, yeah it's just it's a little bit. I was like, I loved your food for like the last yeah. my life. Right. Why wouldn't I love it now? Just because I'm, I'm a chef. It's just dear Emma's mom, <laughs> cook the girl some food. <laughs> so, what living musician who you haven't cooked for before would you want to cook for, and what would you make for them? I would cook for Alicia Keys. Oh, what would you cook for Alicia Keys? I would, I would do something. Uh, seafood mm-hmm. oriented, uh, probably towards the healthy side a little. She seems like she probably um, eats very carefully. She actually has one of the best diets I can think of a celebrity ever having. She's very versatile in her food and mm-hmm. what she eats. And, and she's very inspiring to me in that way where uh, she still seems to be a human being yeah. in all of those situations. Like yeah. she doesn't believe in diets mm-hmm. or starving herself. Mm-hmm. And she believes that good food and, and healthy food is, is just part of your living. So I would probably do something um, with roots from Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit classic, but still really uh, straightforward. Dear Alicia Keys, <laughs> I hope that happens. Like, she's so impressive. Like I, re- she is. I really everything she does, and and having, just believing in women and and pushing everyone forward, and and it's just she's incredible. I she's feel a, like yeah. I feel like this is gonna happen. Like I now that so. you've said it <laughs> after the universe, I think like this needs to happen. So we'll put it on Instagram. We'll do her. <laughs> Final question. Um, you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do? Uh, it depends on where I am, I guess. If I'm at work, um, I normally lock the door to my office and then I get a power nap. <laughs> you can power nap in five minutes? Almost. Wow. How did you learn? That's That's amazing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's normally what you get before someone comes knocking on your door. So <laughs> it's like you put your head head down on on your desk and close your eyes and just, like, <sighs> go down. So. I want everybody listening to this to take five minutes now <laughs> for a power nap. And I hope you get one today. I hope your situation has worked worked itself out while we've been locked in this room talking. So too. Yeah, you put a lot of good into the universe and you deserve so much of it back. And I want, so if people are looking for you on social, how do they find you? So I'm Emma mm-hmm. uh, dot underline. And then my last name, Bengtsson. Okay. And that, and that's on Twitter, on Instagram. Instagram and all I that. tried Twitter. I can't figure it out. That's okay. It's, it's like so you hard. pick your platform and do that one. And that is fun. <laughs> but, you're, but you're really good at Instagram. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> so that's good. And people can come to Akavit 
and just find you in the universe and and I get to try your food because I really I, I just think what you do is so special and the example that you provide for chefs in the industry is is such an important thing so I want people to to find you so thank you so much to our guest today emma and then let us say your name together because you just said it in a way that <laughs> banks on banks on ben, ben, sorry i am so that's, that's very rude <laughs> i kept telling myself i would say it very properly and that's the rudest thing if we can cut that part where i say it incorrectly because i think that's like an awful thing banks on Yes, Emma Bengson. Thank you so so much for being here today and for everything you well, do. And you. I know what a busy person you are. So and you know, so this this podcast communal table is is part of Food and Wine Pro, which is a section on on foodandwine and also out in the universe. We do, you know, you can find us at events and all that kind of stuff where we're really focusing on the industry and the people in it and how to make it a better place to work. We talk about everything from real estate to, you know, the current uh, Me Too climate and current and past Me Too climate and sort of everything in between. And, and it's a really good, informative place where chefs are telling their stories, front of house people are telling their stories. And you can find all of those stories on uh, foodandwine.com or sign up for the Food & Wine Pro newsletter that our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, writes. And I pinch hit every once in a while, but you can always find the latest podcast in there. There's an incredible meditation from um, our uh, our kitchen lead here in New York, Kelsey Youngman. She does. It's just a, it's a really beautiful thing. So please sign up for Food and Wine Pro. I want to thank our producers, Margot Gotthelf, who is new to the team, and Holly Tarpley and Jennifer Martnick and uh, Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. To our audio and visual crew who make this look and sound great. Hey, people who are just listening to this on all the different platforms, you can look at it too on YouTube and on foodandwine.com. So, you know, when you do find this on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts, those stars, those ratings, those comments, especially the good ones, <laughs> really help people find us and help us continue to do what we're doing. And if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter all the dang time at getting with a whip if you want to tell me an issue you think we should be tackling somebody you think i should be talking to i'm pretty easy to find and i'm pretty responsive so please reach out and the most important thing here take good care of yourself until the next time <laughs>